From the Amityville Horror by J. Anson December 18th, 1975 George and Kathy Lutz moved into 112 Ocean Avenue on December 18th. 28 days later, they fled in terror. George Lee Lutz, 28, of Deer Park, Long Island, had a pretty good idea of land and home values. The owner of a land surveying company, William H. Perry, Inc., he proudly let everyone know that the business was a third-generation operation. His grandfather's, his father's, and now his. Between July and November, he and his wife Kathleen, 30, had looked at over 50 homes on the island's south shore before deciding to investigate Amityville. None in the thirty dollars to $50,000 range had yet met their requirements, that the house must be on the water and that it must be one to which they could move George's business. Welcome to Haunted Spouse, a haunted house podcast. I'm your ghost host, Ben Casey, and this is my haunted spouse and co-host, Laura. Hello! Tonight on Haunted Spouse, we'll be talking about The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. When you talk about modern haunted house stories, the Amityville Horror comes up a lot. There are at least 40 other works of literature and film that are based on or add to the Amityville story including a 1979 film starring James Brolin, Margot Kidder, and Rod Steiger, as well as a 2005 remake starring Ryan Reynolds, Melissa George, and Philip Baker Hall. So have you seen any of these movies or read the book before? I have not. Honestly, I had very little interaction with or exposure to the Amityville Horror or any of the other Amityville stories, partly because I, until we started doing this podcast, really wasn't that into consuming horror uh, <laughs> in particular, so I always kind of shied away from it. Yeah, I was always vaguely aware of it as this, oh, spooky true story thing that happened and that it had movies and I think I maybe even remember seeing a trailer for the Ryan Reynolds remake at some point but honestly really that's the most of my history with it up until hearing like Ross and Carrie talk about it on Ono Ross and Carrie what about you probably pretty similar um I don't even remember the movies coming out I just I know the name but I had no context of what Amityville horror meant I didn't know until maybe a couple of years ago, the whole thing about it being like a true story. And then once I did learn a little bit more about it, I wasn't as interested because it was supposed to be a true story. And I always kind of mentally lump all of that stuff together versus like a literary haunted house into the category of those really awful like ghost hunting TV shows mm. where like nothing really happens. Maybe they have um, like basically yeah. I, I feel like those shows would always be like, oh, 
we heard this noise and it's never really clear if the noise was because that was like somebody in their filming crew dropped something or yeah whatever or um, they add like fake subtitles yeah. on top of a thing they're hearing and it's so like that... it doesn't sound anything like that <laughs> yeah or like they run it backward after they get back like none of this stuff is particularly compelling to me and then add to that that if it was anything involving like possessions or whatever i would just automatically was not interested because my concept of that is that it involves a lot of throwing up which <laughs> i don't like <laughs> And it's probably from The Exorcist, which I've never even seen, but it's so entrenched in our culture that, like, I was somehow subconsciously aware that, like, <laughs> possessions and vomiting in Hollywood go together. <laughs> yeah. So my general awareness of this is that, oh, this is a haunted house that allegedly, like, happened in the 70s. And I'm starting to become aware also that there was a connection maybe with the Warrens as well. So mm. speaking about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, yeah. Um, and if you haven't heard of them, they are um, ghost hunters from kind of that same era. Yeah. Their exploits have resulted in a number of stories like this one. Mm-hmm. The book was published in 1977, and it recounts George and Kathy Lutz's experiences of events that occurred in their home in 1975. In the excerpt, we introduced George and Kathy Lutz, but to recap, they are a fairly recently married couple that moves into 112 Ocean Avenue with Kathy's three children from a previous marriage. Danny is the oldest child at nine years old, Chris is seven years old, and Missy is five. They also have a dog named Harry. From the Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. Evergreens grow around the narrow grounds, partly blocking off the neighbors on either side, but their drawn shades can be seen easily enough. When he looked around, George thought that was peculiar. He noticed the neighbor's shades were all drawn on the sides that faced his house, but not in front or in the direction of the house on the other side. The house had been on the market for almost a year. It was not in the paper, but was fully described in Edith Evans's agency listing. Exclusive, Amityville area. Six-bedroom, Dutch colonial, spacious living room, formal dining room, enclosed porch, Three and a half baths, finished basement, two car garage, heated swimming pool, and large boathouse, asking 80000 Without hesitation, the broker then told the couple it was the DeFeo house. Everyone in the country, it seems, had heard about that tragedy the 23 year old Ronald DeFeo killing his father, mother, two brothers, and two sisters in their sleep on the night of November 13, 1974. When their priest, Father Mancuso, comes to bless their home, he hears a voice say, Get out! Throughout the rest of the Lutz's stay at 112 Ocean Avenue, Father Mancuso is plagued by an assortment of maladies like several bouts of the flu and developing boils on his hands. The symptoms seem to worsen whenever he attempts to contact the Lutz's or warn them. A variety of hauntings occur with increasing intensity until the Lutzes finally leave the house just four weeks after moving in. So next we have a segment. Um, I created a little game for us to play to kind of go through the hauntings. And if you want to play along at home, you're welcome to do so. Uh, We would love to see how far you get in the game. (laughs) 
People often say that characters in haunted house stories are either totally overreacting or that they should have left the house sooner. Sometimes both in the same breath. In this segment, I'm going to name events that occurred in the book, and Ben is going to tell me at what point he would decide to leave the house, if any. Okay, ready? Yep. All right, <laughs> hit me. Number one. Your dream home is on the market for $80,000, but no one will buy it because of the murder homicide that occurred there. Would you buy it or let it go? I would probably buy it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd have too many hangups with that. Okay. Like, it, I might feel a little, a little weird about it, or like in in the middle of the night, I might feel like a little spooked on occasion. But I don't think it would stop me from buying it. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's a solid business decision. Yeah. <laughs> or a, a solid personal finance decision. Now, I if suppose. I were in their situation, would I have bought this house? No. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Uh, well, I mean, over the course of the book, it becomes fairly clear that their financials were not in a place to have bought this house. And that may, in fact, be the reason why they published a book about it to potentially recoup their losses on said house. But that's a story for another podcast. (laughs) All right. So you've moved into your house. You don't have a lot of furniture and can fill your house with the murderer's furniture for just $400. Would you buy it? No, I don't think I would. That goes a step too far? Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to, like, leave the house or anything over that one. But, like, I definitely, I don't think I would buy it. Yeah. Especially not for, because one of the sets they bought was for, like, one of their kids. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, one also, it should be mentioned that it's not just that this is their furniture. Some of it is the furniture they were murdered in. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So even beyond superstitious grounds, just on like cleanliness, yeah, cleanliness, and like yeah, I'm sure you can probably clean it out or whatever. But like that just feels weird. Yeah, I think I agree. That's a step too far for me. <laughs> and <laughs> especially just buy my own furniture. <laughs> exactly, and especially knowing that there's already some weird legal stuff with the fact that all of this stuff technically still belongs to the DeFeo family, but there are some legal loopholes that That's right. allow them to buy it despite it technically being owned by Ronald DeFeo, who's still alive, but he's still alive. incarcerated. Yeah. Yeah. So I that I would feel too weird at that point okay. <laughs> about that part. Touche. And by the way, in case you're wondering, that is two thousand dollars in today's money. Okay. Still a steal for yeah, the amount of furniture still... they were getting, and it sounds like it was probably pretty decent quality because it was yeah. in this nicer house. You know what? If we were just talking like the couch or something like that, I could maybe be down with just leaving yeah. the couch. But like the bedroom sets, that gets a little too personal. I agree. Yeah. Especially knowing that that's literally where a murder took place. That's a little too much for me. Yeah. I'm glad we're agreed. (laughs) Okay. After you move in, there is a mysterious knocking sound in the middle of the night. It's an older house that's going to make some noise. (laughs) So hearing that in the middle of the night wouldn't... Make I mean, you a little uncomfortable. It would creep me out, absolutely. But I feel like I would be inclined to just blame it on some. It's the pipes. Exactly. <laughs> it's the pipes, or it's a, maybe a tree branch. Oh. Can like knock 
against the house okay or something. that's a good point <laughs> so i don't know i i would probably let, let something that like go. that slide yeah yeah what about if there's a mysterious knocking and your dog who's outside in the yard won't stop barking as in there's a knocking and the dog won't stop barking at the knocking that happened right i mean that's just dogs just do that <laughs> Our dog barks when the car down the street gets locked and its horn goes off to let you know it's locked, and she gets angry <laughs> at that. So, like, yeah. <laughs> the house won't warm up, despite the thermostat reading 75 degrees. Oh. That would make me leave, because I'm always cold. <laughs> <laughs> you would leave for other reasons. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I would probably be questioning, like, where the thermostat is taking its readings from. Because I've seen when you have, like, take temperature readings close to the ceiling or things like that, like hot air rises. And so if it's reading it next to a vent or something like that, yeah, it could say that your house is a lot warmer than it actually is. So... Apparently, I'm not doing very good at getting out of this haunted house very early, but I would also probably question that as well and just be like, eh, there's probably just a weird thermostat thing going on. Inexplicably, you wake up every night at 3.15. I might find that a little weird, but I would probably just think that maybe there's something like some regularly scheduled thing that happens at 3:15 that I don't hear but wakes me up or something like like I don't wake up until after it's done like I don't know a loud car that drives by or something or our printer chooses to run updates at a weird time in the middle of the night and sometimes that wakes me up so like at least for a while. Eventually, I might start to get suspicious. But at least at first, I would probably just think there's probably just something I'm missing that keeps waking me up at that time. The inside of the toilet bowls suddenly turn completely black, and no amount of scrubbing will clean them. But then it goes away randomly. I would call a plumber. Because <laughs> uh, something's wrong. <laughs> it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah, I would probably just call a plumber. Eventually, if the... Again, some of these are things where it's like, yeah, maybe the first time it happens, I might not be that bothered. And I guess if I had a plumber look at it and they couldn't find any reason why it's happening, I might start to get a little weirded out. I don't know if it would ever get to the point where I would just leave, though. I know. I'm starting to realize that I just would chalk that up to being like, well, there's chemical things I don't understand. And yeah. who knows if there's a weird... It seems like there could be a lot of um, non-paranormal <laughs> reasons for that, right? Exactly. Well, especially knowing that, like, the sewers can back up and send stuff exploding out of your toilet. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's demons, sometimes it's sewers. Exactly. There are hundreds of flies on this one window. Would you leave? No. I would probably call an exterminator. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's got a guy for everything. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and I mean, then if if that didn't help, I might start to question what's going on. And, I mean, eventually I might leave if it was, like, a nuisance. Yeah, because that seems really gross to me. Yeah, it would be hard to sell it if you'd have to, like... (laughs) I think they go away, though. They do. That's another weird thing with this book, is none of these things are consistent or part of, like, much of, like, a running narrative between them. I think part of that makes it more understandable why they would stay, though, because, like, if the problem... You don't... You wouldn't connect these problems, like... That's a good point. I'm realizing as we're talking through this. Yeah. And so... there And there's explanations that could be completely individual. Plus, we've discovered what many people have discovered, which is when you buy a house and move into it, no matter if it's new or old, there's going to be a bunch of problems the first six months. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you just have to deal with it. Yeah, it's a a learning process. Learning all the quirks. Every so often when you go into the kitchen, a ghost gives you a motherly hug and smells like perfume. I mean, it would weird me out, but I feel like, again, it's something I would find, I would explain away somehow. The perfume would be, would weird me out, because I don't know, like, obviously. We don't wear perfume very much in this house, yeah. (laughs) Actually, this is the point where I would start Wondering if it was carbon monoxide poisoning <laughs> um, <laughs> would be my best guess. Because this would be the first point where, like, I couldn't just call a guy. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like, well, I would call a guy. I would call a therapist because I would probably be like, <laughs> well, I've been so stressed out about all these other weird things that have been going on in my house that I might be, like, having some minor hallucinations. And that's something to check out. But by the same token... For someone who hasn't had a history of hallucinations, I would be, that would be hard for me to come up with a psychological explanation that made sense. Yeah. Um, but at this point, that's the specialist I would be calling. <laughs> and, but I think that the poisoning part is a great point because um, that could cause some effects that look very similar and yeah. make a little bit more sense given that. I don't have a history of hallucinations yet. Yeah, exactly. So probably wouldn't move out, but would probably buy some carbon monoxide detectors. (laughs) Your brother loses $1,500 cash while at your house (laughs) and nobody can find it. And then you have to pay for his wedding reception. I mean... Losing things in our own house and not finding them for long periods of time is just something we do on a daily basis. <laughs> this is far for the course of this house. <laughs> it took us, I don't know, has it been over a year before we found that dog toy? <laughs> we lost a dog toy like when we first moved yes, in. Yes, it was over a year. And I think. it was over a year before we found it again. <laughs> it was under the couch cushion, in case you were wondering. Yeah. Anyway, so no, I would not find that to be that strange. What if Luna was moving it? And that's why we couldn't find it for a year. That's possible. Because <laughs> I can't believe we didn't move those couch cushions. I know. Because Surely they, we the, did. The problem with this couch is the cushions keep falling off. Uh-huh. And so it's surprising to me that just having it wedged in there, we didn't see it when those cushions are always falling off. So Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Our house is haunted. <laughs> yeah, we're I guess that's what we're learning today. 
but we're too scientific to see it. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, uh, that would be $7,773 in today's money. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. I can understand that would why be pretty... should, or why he would be upset about that. Yeah. You discover a room hidden behind a closet in your basement, which doesn't appear on the building's blueprints. The inside of the room is painted blood red. I mean, I'm not going to move out because at this point it's just a room. But it's painted blood red. Oh. Uh, and it kind of smells like blood in there. Yeah. Oh, and then is is part of this one the what they see when they Sure, it can look be. In there? Yeah. Because there is the thing where they what is it? Just as they are about to like close it again, they see what looks to be the face of a demon, I think, in blood on the wall. So the room itself, I, I would find creepy. It wouldn't be move out of the house level of creepy. Um, if anything, it would be like, oh, cool, secret, like, secret room. Hidey hole. <laughs> yeah. A smell of blood might be a little weird. I'm not sure what they're implying that's going to smell like. Well, Cause... I assume it would smell like... Um how it tastes when you have a bloody nose. <laughs> yeah. That's my frame of reference. Which, I guess like blood, that metallic. Yeah, that kind of metallic. But I also feel like that is kind of how like old metal smells. So yeah. I feel like it would be so easy to just like to just kind of explain pass it, it away off. that way. And if I saw a demon face on the wall, I would probably buy another carbon monoxide detector to put down there. <laughs> and just carry it around with you. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to start getting a... um like what I use at work where we have like these carbon monoxide detectors that we can clip to our lapels <laughs> and just get one of those. Just see what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. Um, what about if you later hear that it might've been used for sacrificing dogs and pigs? Probably not. And this is, this is partly because of my own knowledge about those kinds of stories and knowing that in almost all cases, they're found to have been completely fabricated. <laughs> um, I would not believe someone if they told me that about that room. Yeah, I think I would be a little bit torn between like just feeling just in case it were true, mm. like disgusted and sad because I love dogs so much. Yes. And I know pigs are really smart too and can be really cute. Um, but then like the logical part of my brain would be like that probably didn't happen. Yeah. So now I don't if know. I found animal bones in there or like actual evidence of something happening, okay, that would be a little spooky. I might start to question what went on there. Yeah. Um, I still don't think it would get me to move out. I would probably just get the bones and stuff out of there. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Where it's like, okay, well, that would kind of suck, but like the sunk cost of purchasing a house and just all that rigmarole uh-huh. <laughs> like it's gonna take a lot to get me to leave <laughs> yeah your five-year-old says that she has made friends with a talking pig who lives in her room i mean and i know that this is the cliche but that kind of just sounds like a thing little kids do <laughs> mm-hmm. i <laughs> agree obviously like that's why so many haunted house stories do that where it's like, oh, but this time it was real. <laughs> um, is because, yeah, kids just kind of do that. Like, 
my sister and I used to have like whole casts of beanie babies with personalities <laughs> we made up for them and we, we would have too. them act out stories uh-huh. like it's not that far of a stretch for a kid to make up a pig in her room especially because like you said pigs can be kind of cute yeah. so like a little pig that talks to her i don't know i don't <laughs> what if the pig says that your five-year-old can play with him forever i mean ominous but <laughs> but could also be totally innocent because yeah. kids have a different understanding of forever than we do i think exactly <laughs> You hear a marching band downstairs in the middle of the night, and when you go to investigate, all the furniture has been pushed against the wall, as if to accommodate a marching band. I'm going to break this one up into two parts. Okay. The marching band part alone wouldn't really bother me, because, especially around sleep, auditory hallucination is not that uncommon. Mm -hmm. I might find it a little strange for myself to be experiencing it because my understanding is usually for people who do experience it, there's kind of a history of having that, I think. But if I did suddenly have that, I would assume that that's what was going on, that I was starting to have sleep. Uh, I forget what the, the word is for that, but when you have like sleep, like hallucinations surrounding the stages as you enter into and leave sleep. Yeah. Um, so that would be my first inclination. All the furniture pushed up against the walls. That's weird. That's, I think, when I'm starting to get freaked out, too. Yeah. Like, maybe my first inclination would be call the cops and find out if, like, vaping teens have been breaking into <laughs> my house and pushing all of my <laughs> furniture against the walls. Just or like at least check to make sure that there hasn't been like some weird rash of break-ins or something. That was a oh, what was that movie called? <laughs> that uh, is a reference to Letters to Satan Claus. So yeah, um, I would start to be a little worried, but my first thought would be ruling out some kind of illicit activity going on in the neighborhood or something. I would post on next door asking if anybody else has had their furniture all pushed to the sides of the room in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, honestly, I'd be very concerned about people being in my house yeah. in the middle of the night. Um, I mean, at that point you have to start wondering if someone in your house might be like sleepwalking or doing that and not oh. telling you about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's when I'm going to start being concerned and I'm, Maybe going to get, like, a camera or something for, to, like, surveil the area because. And at this point in time, I don't know how how easy that would have been to do. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of today, but in the 70s, probably not so much. (laughs) But that might be the point where, like you said, I sit up to, like, stay up to watch and see if someone in the house sleepwalks or something like that. I kind of forgot that that could also be something that's going on. But yeah, at this point, I'm definitely concerned. I'm still not sure if I'm jumping to paranormal conclusions, but like, I don't like someone being in my house. I'm not exactly. Into that. At that point, I'm getting close to the point where I might leave just because I'm suspicious that someone is breaking into my house mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. Your spouse keeps levitating while sleeping. <laughs> it depends on how that's working 
if it's one of those things where, like, I look over and see her levitating and then, like, I wipe my eyes and then she's not or something like that, I would, again, assume that it's some form of, like, hallucination occurring during that falling asleep, waking up time. If on more than one occasion I have had to get up out of bed and grab her back down so she doesn't float away, at that point I'm possibly ready to move out. <laughs> but you're going to, like, take a video of this, right? Like, oh, absolutely. At what point do you not constantly... I know that they didn't have phones with cameras back yeah. then but like at what point do you not have your old polaroid or whatever out yeah like you take a polaroid photo or i don't know if they had camcorders yet right at this point but like but there must have been some way with this many hauntings you're just yeah. gonna have that with you with your carbon monoxide detector and exactly. like follow it you know following you around so you can get pictures of these things especially exactly. if she, like i feel like you have no excuse if this has happened multiple times yeah yeah like at what point and that's obviously the frustrating thing with a lot of these based on a true story stories is, strangely enough, nobody thought to actually collect any evidence, yeah. like any physical evidence for these things. Hmm. <laughs> Your spouse keeps waking up with a bunch of burning red welts all over their abdomen. Again, this lasted for several hours, so they should have taken yeah. a picture. Or at least gone to the doctor. Right. Because, yeah, again, like, yeah, it's weird, but if it were only temporary and it goes away, like, I don't How know. would you know it was the house? Exactly. I might just think that it's a weird sleep rash. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would go to the doctor, probably. <laughs> yeah, that would probably be cause to, like, go to the doctor or, yeah. Again, call a guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> your house experiences storms that don't affect the rest of your neighborhood. Like, big storms. Yeah. I mean, weather can be weird sometimes. But having it just on one house is starting to get weird. I, I still don't think I would move out. I would probably start asking around and see if people can see when it's happening. Like, if other people, or if to them it just looks like the house is fine. I don't know. What if a bunch of your windows break and your house is soaked such that you're going to need to replace the windows and the wooden cabinetry from the storm? I wouldn't be that scared or, like, feel that paranormal about it. I wouldn't be happy about paying to fix all that stuff after already paying more than I can afford to buy the house. <laughs> so, like... That might possibly be the point where I just, like, cut my losses and sell the house and let someone else take care of it. I don't know. Well, what about in combination with all the other things that have happened, though? Because that's where yeah. I think, like, someone levitating, all of the welts, all of these different things. Yeah. I think the levitation really changes it for me because I can't come up with a good explanation other than like hallucinating but if it's happening enough or you can get evidence that it like you can take a picture and look at it later yeah then i'm starting to wonder and then it's starting to do damage to the house mm -hmm. that feels like something that we can't just fix and then move on with our lives so i think i'm starting to get suspicious there is something supernatural hmm. yeah same still hard to say when exactly i would move out We've got a couple more. Okay. If you want to keep going. Okay, let's go. 
When you try to leave, your car won't start. I mean, at that point, my superstitiousness would probably be starting to get the better of me. Because even though it's not impossible that a car would do that, it's also, like you said, so many things happening together. And then the fact that in the book, this happens when they try to leave, and then they decide to stay. I know. That's like, really? You can call a taxi. Yeah. Because I will say, if I were in their situation, and at this point, and I'm sure that there's In the context of the story, there's probably some explanation of the house having influence over them. But if I was ready to leave and my car wouldn't start, then as soon as I could get it to start, it's time to go. Yeah, or if there's another way out. Like, once I've decided to leave, the car not starting is not going to be the thing that keeps me in the house. Exactly. Now, I think in that case, wasn't there also one of those storms was happening? Yeah, and so they didn't think they were going to make it out or have time or whatever. Yeah. Your seven-year-old and nine-year-old say that they saw a monster with no face. I mean, again, that's not that weird for kids to get scared by something they think they see. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's like, well, there's two of them corroborating, so they probably didn't have a shared hallucination. But then on the other hand, there's also that, like, group hysteria thing where, like, one could, like, build the other up. One kid sees it, tells the other kid about seeing it. Now the other kid thinks they've seen Mm -hmm. it. In a poorly lit room. Yeah. But at the same time, like, your five-year-old is repeatedly seeing this pig. You've seen the pig now, too. Oh, I forgot about that, that there was the scene when he sees the pig in the window. Now that... (laughs) That one might have gotten to me. Like, if you see the same thing that your kid says that they're seeing, yeah, that would be spooky. But again, the the fact that a lot of these things only happen once and then don't happen again makes it really hard to not just doubt myself about them. Mm -hmm. You see a gigantic hooded figure coming up the stairs to your bedroom. I might just... I might be done at that point. I think. I think. Me um, too. Yeah. I would have I'm been outie. done a few steps earlier. I think. Yeah. But if I weren't, if I made it that far, that would probably be the thing that'd yeah. be like, okay, I've seen Dementors. I'm not interested. Exactly. At this point, I'm either convinced it's haunted or convinced I'm about to die of carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm done. Yep. <laughs> Well, that was my last one. Oh, so good. there you go. I okay. mean, we made it as long as the Lutzes did. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's making <laughs> me have a little bit more empathy for the characters in these stories that are like, oh, we'll just stick around. It takes a lot of effort to sell a house anyway. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. And their willingness to try and make it work. Yeah. And it would be extra hard to like, like having your dream house. Hmm. It'd be even harder to let that go, I feel like. Yeah. Like, the more ideal the house is, the harder it would be. Especially, like, they probably knew that they wouldn't be able to afford a house like that in the near future mm-hmm. under normal circumstances. So yeah. they wouldn't be able to get it back. And that sense of loss, psychologically, we know is greater than gaining this something of the same value. The loss is more powerful to us, so. Yeah. It certainly would be difficult. And yeah, it's so easy for so many of those things to just make up excuses for them or 
to just keep going, especially in their situation where they put themselves in a very financially precarious situation mm -hmm. in acquiring this dream house. Yeah. So they've got two forms of sunken cost at this point. Yeah. I've got one for you. Oh, okay. What about the green goop? What would have been your reaction to the green goop? Gosh, that would... That falls into the category of a trope that is supposed to be spooky, but I haven't seen the source material that makes it spooky. Yeah. So for me, it would be more like a nuisance from a homeownership perspective. Mm -hmm. And if it just disappeared and left no trace, like I would have been very frustrated during the time that it was happening. But once it was done, I would easily forget it. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I might start to question, like, how safe the house is to live in oh, good if the point. walls were oozing. were oozing green goop. Yeah. I would not have put that in my mouth. I can't believe oh George my puts gosh. it in his mouth. Yeah, he tastes it. <laughs> like, he's been watching too many, like, TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> Where the investigators go up and like... and, like... But the first thing you learn in science lab class is don't taste it. <laughs> exactly. Like you can waft it, but don't huff it and don't taste it. Exactly. Yeah. Are we ready to take a quick break? I think so. Okay, great. Thanks for playing. This book has some amount of controversy surrounding it and has had a decent number of criticisms leveled at it, particularly relating to its claims of being a true story of what happened. There is some thought that the Lutzes may have had motivation to come up with this story and market it and sell it as a means of recouping their losses on a house that they extended beyond their means to acquire. Obviously, we'll never hear it from them. Um, I th think even, I don't know about all of their children, but I know at least some of their children, I think, continue to push the narrative as told in the book. Um, but I have a list of just a few of the criticisms that I've seen. Um, one of which is right at the very beginning the introduction and the first chapter don't agree on what date the Lutzes moved in, which is a pretty straightforward fact to get right. <laughs> um, and even though that's not like a huge, oh no, this invalidates the whole story type deal, it is one of those like, if you were taking care and caution to tell a story, you would want to make sure that all your facts match. Mm -hmm. um, a big one is that Father Mancuso doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> in case if you're reading it and thinking, like, this character seems a bit off, the things he does and says feel kind of contrived, that's because they are. Um, he doesn't exist. They claimed that there was a real priest and that they changed the name to protect the identity of said priest, but eventually they did release the priest's name and when he was contacted he said no he was not involved with this hmm. in that way and that that is not him in the story um that's a little suspicious yeah that's already getting a little bit suspicious um 
The owners who followed the Lutzes in the house have said that as far as they can tell, there was no physical damage done to the house. Um, the story claims that certain things had to be replaced because they were destroyed, like windows, cabinets, banisters, the door, I think. But at least according to the owners who have followed them in the house, all of that still looks to be pretty original. I hope they got a good deal on it, too. Right? Like, I, that makes well, me wonder, like, what direction did the price on the house go after this book got published? And you know what? Is that also makes me think about the segment we just did, that if you did stick it out, you could have this house for a great deal. For a, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So maybe that's what the next people did. That could be. Uh, well, and I wonder at that point when it was sold... Because I don't think the book would have been published yet. Right. So I don't know how much, what would have been relayed to the buyers at that time, or if the Lutzes even had formulated plans to turn this into a book yet, if they would have even been talking about it to anyone yet. Based on the dates, at least the years, it looks like a pretty quick turnaround time. We're talking 1975 to 1977. Yeah. So, and I think less than two years. Um, if I bought a house and somebody was planning to publish a book about how it was haunted and include the address all over the book, <laughs> I would really want to know about that before it happened. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. And but... invest in some security, probably, because yeah. this is... I mean, they could probably would not have been able to guess how much of a cultural phenomenon this was going to be but like i bet they get all kinds of weird activity well and actually the address of the residence has been changed okay. since then um i don't think it was for the people immediately after um but i'm sure but they yeah, it now has a different stuff. address yeah. so that you can't find it quite as easily right and they've changed some of the exterior so that it doesn't have that iconic look from the book cover and things mm -hmm. like that um but this yeah. is me as a disgruntled homeowner. <laughs> right. But yeah, could you imagine being the people who moved in after? You're just kind of going about your day. And then you find out that your address is in a bestseller. bestseller. Yeah. Um, kind of like having the number 8675309. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> um, additionally, according to those owners, the red room was just a closet um they say that it really wasn't concealed in any way that wouldn't have been visible just on an initial walkthrough of the house <laughs> <laughs> um and with all of these things i'm sure that you could always make the argument that oh the demons changed things, oh yeah or, oh right. this was the influence of the be. presence things like that Keep forgetting about how this works yeah exactly yeah. so there is that caveat that i'm sure that there are Claims like that that could be made to defend this, the inconsistencies in this story. Um, for instance, the next one, um, there couldn't have been cloven hoof prints in the snow uh, because it wasn't snowing at the time that this story took place. However, they say that there were weird weather patterns mm -hmm. as a result of the haunting, so I'll give them that. Well, it could also <laughs> have been that maybe... In the same way that 
he saw the pig, but maybe somebody else might not have. Maybe he could have seen snow that other people didn't see. Like maybe it was all part of the same vision. Um, It could be a hallucination, but in keeping with the argument that it is something supernatural, it could have been a vision or a apparition. Yes. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give them that one. Can't really give them the next one. Um, there was no bar called the Witch's Brew. Did they change it for privacy's sake, maybe? Maybe. That's the best thing I could think would be they just didn't want to reveal the name of the bar that he went to. But then why would you name it the Witch's Brew? It's such a good name. Like, <laughs> when they're, like, by naming it that, they're obviously going for a theme Spooky. with it. But, yeah. But, I mean, the Witch's Brew. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's, yeah. that's my aesthetic. Um, <laughs> another point of controversy is just the very fact that Ed and Lorraine Warren were involved in, at some point, in investigating this house. Um, they are kind of notorious for this exact kind of story, where they will claim spooky things that happened and things that they did to overcome the spooky things or the demons or whatever and then turn it into a piece of media that can be sold and they have continued to do that i forget if lorraine is still alive but i know at least up until very recently she continues to be involved in the conjuring universe um series so it at least is worthy of some suspicion that a couple of people well known for monetizing these kinds of stories uh, was involved in this instance. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally, at one point, there are claims of Native American sanatorium of sorts slash burial ground that was supposedly at this site. Um, There's no evidence that that was ever a thing. Yeah, none of that sounded like a real... Like, it doesn't pass the what do you call it, the sniff, the sniff test? test yeah it doesn't yeah. pass the sniff test even without any research yeah that just doesn't sound right and it's also knowing that like for the time that that was also kind of a fashionable thing because i don't know when things like um pet cemetery or like um poltergeist happened you know, but i think i heard i was just listening to the the you're wrong about episode hmm. on the Amityville horror. And I think they said this might be the first instance okay. of that trope. So it's possible this one actually started that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it claims that with very little evidence and may have started a not so great horror trope mm-hmm. that often just gets thrown in as here's some more spooks yeah it feels kind of similar to how people are like and it was an asylum because crazy people are scary exactly yeah just like using a whole group of people and the ridiculous stereotypes that have been assigned to them Mm -hmm. to make something seem scarier which is disrespectful to that group of people and also inaccurate exactly um and cheap and cheap 
Yeah, and I will say I haven't seen Poltergeist and I haven't read Pet Cemetery, so I don't know how those handle that particular trope. But I will say, without a great amount of care and caution, I do not see usage of that trope being particularly tasteful. One thing I could see, and this would have to be done in a careful way and possibly not by a white person, Uh (laughs) um, is using that trope to explore white guilt Mm. about and feeling haunted by our guilt for the displacement and atrocities that were done to the indigenous people. So what you're saying is we need like a get out style horror movie that takes on the uh, Native American burial ground trope and kind of uh re-examines that yes <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> i'm not the person to speak on that though yeah so i think we'll leave it at that <laughs> um and finally this isn't necessarily a criticism i've seen leveled at it a whole lot but it is interesting that this was released later in the year that the shining was released and this book is not light on parallels and similar story elements to The Shining. I don't know that there's any record of whether there was any kind of influence from The Shining onto this. Or if they were influenced by the same cultural factors. Yeah. Or if maybe they were... just two different branches from that. Yeah. Um... But it is interesting to note that both came out the same year, and if I were to recommend reading one or the other, I would hands down say go read The Shining instead. (laughs) And maybe that's a haunted house worth exploring. Hmm. Maybe. So, unless I'm mistaken, I'm kind of thinking that Amityville might be the first of its kind in terms of The haunted house being a house that a middle-class suburban couple purchases, and then they find out it's haunted, which, of course, we see that theme come up again and again and again um, in later movies and books, probably to a lesser extent. Before that, it seems like the haunted house was often a mansion um, or a castle or a nicer house that belonged to uh, some kind of aristocracy, Mm. be it official aristocracy or just very wealthy people. Um, And you're exploring the house, but you don't, you didn't purchase the house a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I think there's various iterations that kind of create a spectrum, but um, this does seem to be the first, like we bought this house. It was great. We wanted to, solve our very quotidian uh, (laughs) suburban family issues, and we're hoping that this new house will be a fresh start for everybody. Yeah, like, we're in pursuit of the American dream. Yeah, yeah. Versus this is an old mansion on a hill that we're just exploring. Yeah, I think that's an interesting turning point, um, as we've talked about previously, about the importance of the old dark house 
we kind of see this transition away from old dark houses to sometimes still old, but often new to the person buying them and moving in houses that aren't coming from this theme of the decay and demise of the aristocratic family that once held great power and lived here, and instead it's a little more of the problems faced by the previous family that lived there haunt the family that has moved in, Mm -hmm. or things along those lines. And yeah, this feels like a turning point toward that theme. And I would be interested to know how how this aligns with, because I don't really know the timeline for when the shift was toward more like a suburban shifting for particular classes of families. Mm -hmm. But I would be interested to know if there's some alignment there. Mm -hmm. Because this seems to portray a whole different set of fears from what we've seen before. Yeah, and it's hard to read this without also acknowledging that an elephant in the room, or I guess a theme that pervades the entire story, is people acquiring a house beyond their means and how that actually really ends up being a weight that they carry. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. But it locks them into a bad situation. Yeah. And if you wanted to, you could probably draw a metaphor there to a person, usually a woman, being stuck in a bad relationship due to economic reasons. Hmm. That um, maybe she has agreed to a situation where she doesn't work anymore, and so she doesn't really have an option to exit that relationship due to financial reasons. Yeah. That's interesting because, yeah, they do kind of have, it's like a bad relationship with the house mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And whenever they try to leave, the house pulls them back in. Finds a way to force them to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hijacks, or not hijacks, um, sabotages the car mm-hmm. so that they can't leave. And cuts off their relationships with people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or at least cuts off their ability to speak with um, their priest, who yeah. wants to tell them to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> There's also themes of how the house is impacting and souring the dynamic between the family members, um, including between the spouses. If it went in the direction of The Shining and that spousal pairing, then it would be really interesting to have that same metaphor echoed with their relationship with the house Hmm. of it being a toxic or abusive relationship. Yeah. Well, and in things heard and seen, I feel like we see this theme played very straightforwardly. Mm -hmm. Um, where it literally is parallel metaphors with the house and the relationship. Yeah. Like, whereas if Amityville Horror, it's maybe implied things heard and seen, which makes me wonder how much of that story is meant to be an homage to 
Amityville and that era of I was just story. thinking that. Like, more and more that seems like that fits. And they could have chosen to have that story be set any time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to choose the late 70s, that really feels, feels like it. it might be a reference, yeah. Yeah. And it's even a similar thing where, because of money... They're stuck with this house that is essentially that they're in an abusive relationship with. And then, yeah, she's in an abusive relationship and like. And she doesn't have a lot of resources to leave. Yeah. Which then that makes me, I I would be interested to hear about the author of the book that was based off of to find out how much of it was drawing on influences or an appreciation for Amityville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will do some ratings. So, on a scale from one to five, how spooky is the Amityville horror? For me, probably a two. Yeah. There were a couple of moments there where I was like, ah, yeah, that's pretty spooky. Good for you. (laughs) But uh, it was not written in a way that was particularly compelling to me. For me, the style was a little too dry Hmm. and didn't really make the characters feel all that fleshed out or real, even though I know that per the book... These are real people. So that made it hard for me to feel like I was really kind of in the book. Mm -hmm. um, And so I didn't find it as spooky. Though there are sure a lot of spooks in there. Oh, yeah. What do you think? (laughs) I'm also going to say it, too. Um, I listened to the audiobook version. The audiobook reader, I think it was Ray Porter, does the best he can with it. Um, But... Because it is written in a documentary style, which don't get me wrong, it is possible to make documentary style be very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should note, Jay Anson's history is in doing short documentaries, which I think explains a lot about the way this book is written. So listening to the audiobook, I just kind of feel like someone's reading off a news story to me the whole time because of the way it's written. And I also think even though each of the individual things that happen can be kind of spooky, the way that they're written, the story often undercuts itself in its attempt to make things seem more realistic. Like they add in things that just really undercut your experience of the story because they want it to be this see this is a real story because we included this tidbit in here um and so yeah ultimately it comes out not really being that spooky on a scale of one to five how haunted is the house in the amityville horror i mean five it's got a demon it's got like three ghosts Something like that. I lost track. I don't know the uh, difference. (laughs) Yeah. It's supposedly built on some kind of burial ground slash sanatorium. So, like, there are both explicit 
explicitly and implicitly, there are a lot of ghostly and demonic beings. And I think even in the... I forget if it's the epilogue or the conclusion or something like that, I feel like. Because I think the book has like two intro sections and two outro sections. And I forget which ones are which. But it even goes into the breakdown of what types of ghosts and everything. And so, yeah, there are a lot. So it's pretty haunted. What do you think? I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Because in the world of the story, it is haunted. Or there are demons um, and other types of spirits or poltergeists or things like that there. Um, However, in terms of... I'm using this rating system to talk about how haunted house haunted it is. And I'm going to argue that it is not a full five because we don't have spirits that are directly connected to the trauma that happened in the house. I need a, okay. a storyline connection there. Um, yeah. For example, in the turn of the screw, we're seeing the ghost of the dead governess and we understand mm. how this is all related. Whereas there's not really, I think that it, connection yeah. made as directly with these, at that's, least not yeah. to my satisfaction from a literary perspective. That's fair because I think isn't the um, the perfume ghost was that DeFeo's mother or was it just stated as just a motherly ghost who was present? I agree that if it is, even if it is her, that's not a satisfactory connection. I didn't get the impression that it was specifically that mother. Okay. But if it was, then that's fine. But it's still, to me, still doesn't feel like as direct a link because I'm looking for, I think what I'm really looking for in my haunted house stories are um, character Mm. and um, their experiences, not just I saw the person like I'm looking for yeah. how does this what makes this particular person with their life experiences that now are a part of the house how are they uniquely interacting with the individuals who have come to live in the house hmm. and how are their stories kind of augmenting one another um, or how are they bringing out the positive or negative sides of the people who live there and it just did not feel like there was any depth of character at all for any of that type of um, interaction to be happening. Yeah. Um, and so this is a lot of splitting hairs, but uh, for me, this is the difference between a story of a house that includes demons and poltergeists and your kind of standard Catholic concept of for lack of better word, haunting, which does mm. feel like it's a slightly different flavor than um, the haunted houses that we tend to speak about. Yeah. More. Because it's like, because um, they mentioned like possession and obsession mm-hmm. as like Catholic demonology concepts. And I feel like the, it makes, it feels more like that than it does a haunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially because the demonic presence doesn't even have really a history in relation to the house, except for maybe some people did some rituals there. Right. And I get, but yeah. again, that I, I think that it's not because the demon lived in the house or has any connection to the house. Yeah. 
that it just happened to be the site where the demon from elsewhere was called in. Yeah. I think I think that's a an interesting and important distinction to make. Now, this might not be how anyone else defines hauntedness. <laughs> I, I want to clarify that. This is just like totally a personal thing. But I, it's helping me to kind of identify like what it is that this does not do for me that mm. other haunted house stories do. Yeah. Well, and I think given that we're taking somewhat of like a psychological approach or a- approaching this from the psychological aspects of the story, there is kind of a divide between how hauntings where the house is haunted through its history and things like that as opposed to the like demonic influence stories and so i feel like in the ways that we're trying to approach these works there is a a bit of a divide there and i feel like that's maybe even what sets this apart from the shining mm-hmm. yeah i hate to keep comparing it to the shining but it really it's hard not it's to. It's hard not to. Yeah. In case you're not familiar with The Shining, um, that story, like we said, has a very similar publication um, date. And it is the story of a mm, lower to middle class man and his wife. Uh, probably middle class because they both went to college, I think. Yes, okay. they did. Scratch that. A middle class family that goes to stay in this very fancy hotel over the winter when nobody else is there to care for the hotel. They get snowed in because they're in the mountains in Colorado. (laughs) And the hotel is haunted and it has the ability to have an influence on the people who are in the hotel. And those factors, as well as the isolation cabin fever component and the things that haunt these people that they brought with them Hmm. all interact um, in a series of of hauntings. And so that setup of a family coming to a house that's very fancy, that has some supernatural elements already there, and then some of the ways that their personalities are impacted by the house all feel very reminiscent to Amityville. Yeah. Or vice versa. Yeah, yeah, whichever direction you want to go in. It it honestly does feel like, to me, like, Jack and Wendy and The Shining are a much fully realized version of George and Kathy in the Amityville Horror. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why it's so difficult to look at Amityville Horror in the same way, because we're never given a frame of reference for how George and Kathy were coming into this house yeah there's definitely indications and it even outright states in the book that their personalities are being changed as a result of uh the house's influence but it just falls really flat i think when you didn't really know what they were like before other than the book tells you they had never done such and so before okay well (laughs) i think it would be a little bit more effective and honestly believable for us to see that and not just be told it Mm mm-hmm and some of what makes The Shining a little impactful is that, like, some of that stuff has been done before. And so the house is kind of picking at that and mm-hmm. drawing that out despite the desires of the the people in the house. And again, I think this is where this book undercuts itself by wanting to be a true story is because it doesn't want to paint the Lutzes as 
people who would do some of the things that the house makes them do. And so it has to say, oh, and they never did this before. Mm-hmm. This is just so unlike them. The house made this sudden change and it makes for a less impactful story. So on a scale from one to five, how spousy is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, like a two. I'm going to give it a two because there are spouses. (laughs) They don't communicate very much, if at all. Uh Um, but it also isn't a huge part of the theme. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit, a little bit of a family theme, given that the murder that occurred was an adult child killing his family members mm-hmm. but that's kind of the extent of it so yeah i'm gonna go ahead and say it's a two because the main characters are married and so by default their marriage is a part of the story but it does not take a very center stage yeah um i want so badly to give this a one but uh, in my personal scale a one is a there are no spouses and nothing we could even bend to potentially call spouses so i i am going to give it a two exactly the same reasons there's george and kathy and then there's was it the cousin or somebody like that her brother and his wife oh was it her brother who gets married yeah yeah that's her brother okay it was a brother i couldn't Uh, remember the relationship it's it's george's brother-in-law oh yeah but they have the same (laughs) but we know that it's brother-in-law through kathy because Kathy and the brother both had stayed at the mom's house. They have the same mom. Oh, so. yes. Yeah. Okay. I remember that now. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, I guess there is a wedding that we completely just kind of like. There's a wedding. Well, the, the book kind of just. The book just. <laughs> it's so weird what the book does and doesn't decide to focus on. It wants. Yeah, I just. Yeah. Anyway. Ben two. loved this book. Uh, Can you tell? He has so many nice things to say about it. I have tried so hard to separate my feelings about the book itself from a discussion of the themes in the book, but it is so hard to separate the two. Uh, And I blame the book and its marketing for that, because if there had not been claims about this being a true story and all that kind of stuff then it would be easier to approach it as just a, oh, it's, it's just, it's just an okay yeah. haunted house story. It is what it is. But instead, it's like, no, they had to... Well, and I mean, that's what <clears throat> launched its success. Oh, yeah. For better or for worse. Um, I don't think this book would have been nearly what it was if it hadn't been for the claims of true story. Yeah. Okay, so bring it back around. Yeah, we can cut all that. Uh, summarize your rating, <laughs> I guess. Um. Yeah, too, because there are spouses in the story. And that's as far as the story engages with the idea of spousiness. Well, that about does it for our show. Thank you for joining us as we explored The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. If you're new to Haunted Spouse, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five spook review. Reviews help us get our show out there and help listeners find the pod. So if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, you can suggest a rating category that we will use on an upcoming episode.
If you have comments, topic suggestions, or want to tell us how far you made it into the game we played, send us an email at hauntedspouse at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at Haunted Spouses. Thanks for listening. And remember, because of the uncertainties connected with the paranormal, I, as a believer in science and in religion, would be remiss not to warn readers against the dangers both of an arrogance that professes a grasp of the unknown and of a bravado that boasts of a control of the transcendent. The wise man knows that he does not know, and the prudent man respects what he does not control. Um, yeah, so Ben, describe your history with... It's haunted! Yeah. Help!